I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know, but have you seen Mr Yum Split and Pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. Really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr Yum Split and Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum's Split and Pay is the better way to pay, and it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. We're also super proud that Mr. Yum is supporting us for this podcast season. Now, the original Bavarian eat and drink experience is Hofbrauhaus, House, lies in the heart of Melbourne CBD in Chinatown, under the same roof for the last 50 years. Established in 1968 and independently owned by Bavarian chefs by trade, they're proud of their long successful history of traditional Bavarian cuisine and original Bavarian beer and snaps varieties. Today, I feel really lucky to sit down with long-term contact and legend of the Hof team, their general manager of branding and operations. Hey, Philip, how are you? Yeah, good. Love the intro tunes, actually. Oh, you like it? <laughs> yeah, I love it. The tunes are good, aren't they? Like, yeah. the tunes always get me started, then we do a good intro. I don't stuff it up on the first time. It's, <laughs> it's a good start, my friend. It's a good start. Now, we've known each other for probably close to two years, I reckon. Now. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's been a long time. And, you know, we've been talking during, you know, different lockdowns and stuff like that we've had in Melbourne. So I feel really humbled to, like, sit here in what is Hoff downtown, obviously, in the Docklands area today, the other venue you guys have, um, and have a chat with you about, you know, your career coming into the industry and what you guys are thinking at the moment. I know from speaking with you so many times before that you don't originally come from hospitality, which is such a cool story. So how did you actually come to working with the team here? My background is probably as far from hospitality as you can be. I mean, hospitality is also known for not, Everyone has to like have to have the traditional background of like doing a career in hospitality starting in the early ages. So my first contact with Melbourne and especially the crew from Hofbrauhaus was when I was here as a student at Vic Uni. Um, I think back in 2011. And um, yeah, I wasn't thinking of doing anything just but enjoying my student life overseas with everything that comes with it. Yes. Um, so I was walking through Chinatown, a good friend of mine, um, because I just loved the, the Asian culture. I always have to visit every Chinatown in around the world, San Francisco, Chicago, everywhere. So yeah, we were walking through Chinatown and then we saw that sign saying Hofbrauhaus. And I was like, dude, that's weird. Like, <laughs> it's Chinatown. What does Hofbrauhaus do here? Yes. Um, it was the middle of the day. We were students, so we had not much to do. We probably should have been somewhere in a lecture, but yeah. Um, so we said, oh, yeah, all right, stuff it, let's have a beer. So we walked inside, and there was this guy, Eugene, 
he's one of the owners and um he came straight up to us like oh you guys look like you are thirsty and we're like well indeed and we were like do you actually talk german he was like freile which is basically the the german word for like of course man <laughs> um so yeah we were talking why Hofbrauhaus is in the middle of chinatown um and he got really excited um had a couple of too many beers probably with him mm-hmm. um that afternoon um and then the next day we went back and we said hey do you actually need staff and um yeah and then one thing came to the other and um i started working there doing the pass um which was super exciting i've never seen a kitchen or commercial kitchen before from from the inside well um uh, yeah had to uh, yeah get used to all the um lingo of the chefs mm-hmm. <laughs> learning a lot about respect as well being mm-hmm. a, a young student and uh, yeah then uh, my time finished at a great time there i went back to germany um finished my uh, bachelor of business degree started my own business started two b- businesses one in the league industry one as a event caterer okay um just pretty much to find a good reason for me and my friends to hang out on all those awesome events <laughs> um uh, and doing a little bit of um yeah getting a little bit of money inside which wasn't as big as we all thought it would be but yeah mm. um uh, then i did my master in branding one of the the bigger business the liquor business which i put everything in there failed traditionally startup things got really busy really well me and my business partners back then realized we were probably not as much on the same page so we we split up one of the owners of Hofbrauhaus he kept visiting me over the years in Germany um always had a good relationship so he literally came visit me when i was probably at my worst just split up with my business partner lost a fair bit of money mm-hmm. um just finished um my master didn't know what to do and he was like why don't you come to melbourne i was like not well, probably not a bad idea <laughs> um I had to check out with my girlfriend if she's keen and she was actually the person who convinced me to do the step i was a little bit hesitant i was like okay working in hospitality as a marketing person or the marketing manager is not really what i was picturing back then um but i always kind of was had my my sight on hospitality obviously during studying worked in hospitality businesses but not really professionally and yeah moved to melbourne in 2017 started for the hof group as a marketing manager was actually initially planned on taking over the um import and export side of business so we also importing our own beers some schnapps um some food products and being more like the business type of guy um and having a fair bit of experience in sales um i was meant to take over that part of the business due to multiple reasons that didn't work just importing perishable goods from overseas especially something like beer mm. um is pretty cost intensive so i've made a pitch and said look guys um unless we get some serious volume behind it i don't think it's going to be worth it so basically you made myself redundant the guys um then said okay why don't you take over the hospitality business we need someone who understands the culture who has some passion for it um and yeah then just one thing came to the other in 2019 I took over as the channel manager for operations and branding and um had a good ride in 2019 up until yeah um <laughs> everything shut down in 2020 and um yeah here we are and we're still alive and I think we're just uh, rolling with the punches and mm. before you did join the team like it's not we thought you were going to be do you have an understanding of like 
where you thought you were going to be? Like, were, was the goal to work with a big company in regards with branding and, and that kind of stuff and like a big multinational or something like that and obviously not be a hospitality brand? Uh, no, actually quite the opposite. I'm not a big fan of big corporations to work with. Yeah. Um, I admire their achievements. I definitely admire a lot of big brands. I'm a really brand-driven guy. I'm, I'll just love when, when people are so loyal to brands. Mm. Um, I myself got some brands I'm just always my go-to. doesn't matter if it's like consumables or food, beverages or tech. But I was picturing myself just to be my own man, to start my new business. Um, I think um, that's what I always wanted to do. And when my, uh, my first startup failed, I mm. was um, probably kind of a reality check. Like, okay, maybe I'm just not ready. So, But I didn't want to give up. So I was like, okay, just going to find a new way to start my own business. And then this opportunity came aboard and I was like, okay, it's not what I wanted, but maybe it's the right way. I always wanted to move overseas. I always wanted to... Yeah, have to try my f- or find my way through a new culture. I mean, the Australian culture is not too different to the German culture, but it's still different. Mm. Um, so this uh, integration process into new culture, new language, new city was always something which kind of excited me. So yep. that was um, one of the biggest selling points for me back then. Can you remember a time, the time when you did feel when you were living and working in Melbourne that you felt comfortable? Because it would have been a big exchange for you to come from Germany and and actually live here rather than just, you know, obviously study here is a big thing as well, but actually live here, have your girlfriend here. Like, that's that's serious. That's putting some flags in the ground, so to speak. Yeah, look, it, um, it took me a little bit until I felt really at home here in Melbourne. There were some occasions where I was a little bit not really pushed away. I mean, the Melbournians are super inviting people. I love the cultural diversity of, of Melbourne, which mm. makes it easier, I think, for immigrants like myself to feel at home. Interesting. Um, because you are not... Like, if it would be all old-school Australian... A smaller matter. city yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, or if it would be just a not-so-diverse city, you probably wouldn't feel as welcomed or it would be much harder to integrate. But yep. because you've got like things like Chinatown and you've got the the Greek corners, then you've got the Lebanese corners, you've got the unfortunately no German corner, but yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, but then you've got so many different people from different angles of the world, which just makes it such a great landscape of humans. And then you've got your all those different accents, which always fascinates me, right? I'm obviously my accent is quite um, uh, serious German, but then you talk to someone, he's probably from India, then another one from China, then another one from america or from canada and everyone just like melbourne is like this big melting pot of um, cultures which i think makes it still the most livable city even in 2022 do you pick up on the different australian accents from different states yet no i can <laughs> i probably can tell if you're from the countryside of yeah. melbourne <laughs> <laughs> i've only started to notice that the last the last couple of weeks with melbourne coming back together and like a lot of people coming from interstate for different things that are on um, at the moment and just different state accents it's quite it's quite funny to pick up yeah i wish i could speak like someone from the countryside because i just think it, i think it's one of the m- most hilarious accents ever i love it yeah so laid back um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know coming from a branding and marketing sort of background like what was one of the biggest things that really surprised you about the hospitality industry sort of once you were once you were in it because you got that taste really expediting and stuff like that 
when you're here as a student, but once you're actually in it, like what were the big surprises about it? I think the, not a surprise, but I think it's very unique at hospitality from a, um, like working in hospitality, it's probably you either love it or you hate it. Mm. Like you, you are not in for the, for a job, you're in for passion. Like if you're just in to collect pay slips, then I would recommend everyone just to turn your back on it and go because it's, it's almost like a lifestyle. It's not like you've got your nine to five. I mean, obviously we all moving and trying to move into a direction where you can have a better lifestyle um, in hospitality as well, but it will never be as normal, I would say, as like your normal office job because mm. the fact is you have to work when other people are um, off, right? So that's never going to change. Yes, um, uh, we've never been, and me personally, never been a fan of 70, 80 hours in the kitchen, right? That's just stupid in my opinion. Yep. You, you're not gonna, you're not gonna change the world, and you're just gonna lie to yourself if you think it's ever gonna work. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, sometimes, obviously, when you think of like crazy Christmas things so far, Oktoberfest, yeah, you have to put a little bit more hour in there. Yep. And there are occasions where you just have to work your butt off. Um, but in general, you just should always make sure you look after yourself because if your mind is not there, you're not gonna you're not gonna perform. But um, yeah, the the real thing which surprised me in hospitality um, in terms of the operations really um, how many touching points you have between your customer, your product, and yourself. Mm. Like I I think I think I've never been able to really um, put it down what I really mean because I was just having this conversation with my girlfriend the other day but if you look at like if you're if you're selling cars right mm-hmm. you get an inquiry you show them around and that's pretty much it and they do so many um, they seek information from somewhere else and whatnot and you've got one touching point that's selling the car right in hospitality there's so many things which can go wrong mm-hmm. it's starting with a dirty glass right so if your if your glass washer is not working properly or if your glass is not polishing the glasses properly mm-hmm. it goes through the person who greets them if they're having a bad day and they're not smiling obviously at the moment it's hard with the mask but um, i'm talking general that's another touching point then your chefs from your dishwasher to the person who does the prep to the person who does check the quality of your food, then the people who serve the customer, right? And then at the end of the day, if everything is great, but there's something bad with the dessert, then you just um, ruin the whole work. And having all those touching points um, with the customer where something can go wrong, which I believe is nowhere else that crucial than in hospitality, um, just makes it very unique, very, very challenging in my opinion but also challenging in a good way because you have to make sure that your team is doing a good job. Obviously, our venues are a little bit bigger, so we always have to think of, I always keep telling our team, it's like you can't take care of 100 patrons, yep. but you can certainly take care of 10 of your staff, which then going to take care of those 100 patrons. And mm-hmm. um, if you make sure that those 10 staff members know what they're doing and they're happy going the extra mile, then, um, uh, yeah, everything just falls into place now you've touched on it let's let's talk about it because obviously the venues that you have they're big (laughs) um how how do you guys go about operating you know such big venues like even like downtown's what 600 yeah about 600 yeah give or take yeah depending on the weather and um i mean that's full on like when it's a full tilt, I'm sure, you know, you'd be using that for Oktoberfest and obviously um, we're right close to Marvel Stadium. So after after football games or cricket matches and all those kind of things, how do you operate a venue that has such a big scale like that? 
it's always been a challenge, but I think um, the most recent two years just topped up that little challenge a little bit more with obviously the labor shortage which everyone is aware of. So we've jumped on to um, the QR code ordering with Mr. Yum quite early. I never thought it would give us such relief. It's obviously, I've I've been in touch with the guys from Mr. Yum, especially Kim and Adrian, quite early, way before COVID, and I wanted to utilize it and use it anyway. I just loved the idea. Yep. And then obviously when COVID hit, it just got so paramount for everyone, especially in, if you've got a big co- um, operation like ours. A lot of people think that things like QR code ordering or, um, or especially with Mr. Yum, it takes away something from the customer and I think it's different, actually completely opposite. It, it's in service ad. In no other scenario you can see the food before you mm-hmm. can serve it, uh, before you get it, right? You mm-hmm. can literally, visuals are so important in hospitality. So if you can see that great schnitzel or that awesome pork knuckle or even the color of the beers, that can just um, help you making your decision. And then I had to fight for our team to accept Mr. Yam because they were a little bit afraid that I'm going to take away that job. And um, wow. because we've got this um, um, mentality that we love to spend time with our friends, our customers out there. So um, they were just afraid they can't do it anymore. So they thought, okay, they might going to turn into a, basically a food run and a glassy, right? Yeah. Rather than serving people. That's what their passion is. And that's what we've been training our team as well. And um, I've told him, I said, look, other places might use Mr. Yum in order to cut costs and to cut service, but I think we should be using it to make it easier. Like, um, think of all the time you spend chunking order into the point of sale system, right? Mm-hmm. You just literally spend, for every customer in, in average, I think you probably spend about 30 seconds in front of the post system just putting things in there. I said, this time we save and you can spend more time with the customers, right? Make yep. fun with them, ask them how their meal is, ask them um, if they need anything. Like, it's literally just, uh, we see Mr. more as the replacement of the menu mm. rather than the replacement of the front of house staff. The, the customer is putting their orders in. We help them putting their orders in. So if they got questions um, about the technology or we still give them recommendations, explain them the dishes. Um, but there are so many... So many benefits of it. Don't have to go into it. It's pretty obvious. But yeah, from changing the menu almost daily, getting rid, like nothing is worse than having to tell the customer, sorry, we are out of this beer or that dish. But with um, COVID, a lot of supply chain issues came into effect as well. So we're obviously importing a lot of things. So we don't always have every beer on our menu available. So with Mr. Yum, we don't have to tell them anymore that unfortunately we don't have that wise beer anymore. We just take it off. And it just takes this awkwardness away, right? The other, I think what we're doing hopefully really well is in order to run a big venue like like ours is to empower and encourage the team. As I said, you can't physically look after 400, 500 people out there, but you can certainly look after your 20 staff you've got on the floor, on the bar, and... One of our motto or our leading motto in the company is we are friends serving friends. So we we see we always talk about friends rather than customers or guests, but we also see ourselves as friends. So we help each other. We work really hard. Obviously, that's a hospital thing, <laughs> I reckon. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have fun. We have fun during work. We have fun pre-work, after work, in between. 
Um, obviously, the job is number one priority, but also, yeah, this friendshipness is um, pretty big for us and really important. So um, our philosophy is we, we're trying to educate our staff, give them guidance. So we've got some some core values we teach everyone. Those are the guidelines, and we give our team the freedom to operate within those guidelines. Mm-hmm. And for us, it worked out really well. Yes, it is. A lot of people came to me and said, oh, don't you think it's a little bit critical and dangerous to give such a big team such a big freedom to do the job how they want to do it and i said look i'm not necessarily giving them the freedom that they can serve a lager and a wise beer glass for example there are strict rules and especially when it comes to the beer yes but it's more about how to interact with the customers yes we've got our sequence of services but they are pretty loose yes it's important when the blade is dirty you pick it up but we don't have like slogans we tell them right um we we are pretty easy when it comes to how they treat the customer with respect but also how you would everyone treats friends differently right we yeah. see our customers as friends so some people come in they go straight to one staff member they give them a hug before they do anything else which is just like it always fills me with joy to see that when when a random customer comes in and he straight asks for hey um uh, where's deepak or hey is amy here i'm like oh sorry she's off and it's like oh, okay going to come tomorrow then <laughs> oh wow not really but yeah yes. it happens sometimes yes. but yeah, yeah. you just got a really big connection between the team the the customers not only the managers obviously every manager has like their their reckless and whatnot now also just team member who only work like five six hours a yeah. week um yeah. and they just have this bond with the customer and that just makes it a really nice and friendly atmosphere and i think that's probably at least i'm not quite sure if it's the way but it's our way to make sure that even though we've got a big venue, we still got a venue with a soul and a character. Usually when you've got like a couple of hundred seats in a venue, it gets soulless in my opinion. Mm. There are a lot of operators out there who are doing a fantastic job with mm. with big venues. But sometimes if you look at like massive venues, you're like, okay, I'm just a number basically. Mm. Um, and I'm here for to get something to drink, but not for a great energy or a great vibe. And for us, it's important that people, yes, they come here for the great beer, for the great food, but also just to hang out, to have fun. In regards with the space, because obviously there's sort of there's really three zones as I can sort of see it, right? So you've got your out, you've got your outdoor zone, you've got this indoor zone which is around the bar, and then obviously up here where we're recording on the second level. So do you sort of just execute those particular zones depending on how busy you are? So you won't you won't this upstairs zone, for example, you won't actually um, make this open until you had a function or until you had a really big night? Yeah, look, um, the upstairs area usually is operating about half of the time where we open. Mm. It obviously depends how busy we are. Now, facing or still struggling with having enough hands Mm. obviously forces us to um, be super efficient with especially spaces. It's It's a long way from the kitchen to the upstairs area it's an even longer way from the kitchen um to the outdoor area so we kind of trying when people coming in we're trying to see them as efficient as possible keep them all together like a little herd or a little crowd yes. <laughs> yeah to create that experience um, almost right? like yeah, yeah almost like the shepherd taking care of <laughs> the sheep <laughs> just making sure they are not too uh, spread out yes. um so yeah just trying to be as efficient as possible using technology which helps 
obviously, if you've got 100 customers in a venue which can seat 400 mm. and they're sitting over three different levels um, or almost four, then there's an atmosphere. But if you chunk them into one area, then it's pretty good. Now, moving into Melbourne winter, it's not too hard to keep everyone inside anyway. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the friends serving friends model, when when did that come in? Was that before COVID? Yes, that was... Um, Probably one of the first things I wanted to implement when uh, I took over as um, GM. Um, just like I'm, I'm a big, obviously coming from a branding background, for me, internal branding is just as important as external branding. I mean, if you've got the, um, everyone is, keeps talking about brand advocates, especially in hospitality, in uh, within your customers. But mm-hmm. um your, your team and your staff are customers as well, right? And they are the biggest brand advocates. If they go out there saying, oh, I love my boss, I love my work, I l- get up in the morning, I'm excited, even after a 10-hour shift or 12-hour shift, um, that's that's what you want to achieve. So we were thinking, we, we, we sat together, it was like, okay, what can we, how can we make sure that we encourage and empower every single one of our team, but give them the the guidelines and, and empower them within the parameters so they can be sure that they're not going to fuck it up, basically. Yeah. So just everyone, I think, needs guidelines, especially if you're a big team. So we said, okay, let's put some values in there, what's important for us. So there's obviously the generic stuff in there that we're respectful with everyone. We don't discriminate. Um, if we got an issue, we just talk after service, never argue during service. That's just never led to something... Um, productive mm. um, uh, but we also got things in there like which just says yeah which is basically the German word for yes which means we do whatever we can in order to satisfy our customers as long as it's within our values sure right so we would never serve um, a bad beer yeah right? of course <laughs> um, uh, it also goes back to simple things like we there's a thing in Germany so vice beer it's basically or wheat beer it's a very yeasty super delicious beer and there's a certain glass with it right and you not serve this beer out of any glass uh, Mm -hmm. any other glasses so even if it's busy um we make sure we keep that quality we're not even if you are out of any other glass you rather go to the customer say sorry mate i'm currently out of the wise beer I'm going to get it back in probably five minutes. You just don't serve it in these glasses. And mm. this helps the team, I think, to uh, define what's right and wrong within our philosophy mm-hmm. and um, to help them to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing with we're friends serving friends came up with when um, listening to another podcast about this German guy called Horst Schulz. He's um, the CEO or director of uh, the Ritz-Carlton Group. Um, and his slogan was, um, we're, we're ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And the thing he wanted to achieve with that is to fill every single person working in, hos- in his hotels with a certain pride of their job, what they're doing. Doesn't matter if they are the manager, the general manager, the head chef, the executive chef, or part of the cleaning team, or even the dishwasher, or the guy at the front greeting everyone. He wanted to make sure that everyone feels valued Mm -hmm. in their position, no matter how some people might think how little their position is in compared to the bigger scheme of things. And I just absolutely loved it. I've got so much respect for that thought process. And that's, um, yeah, I I pitched that to our, our team. 
I said, what do you think? And everyone loved it. And uh, we said, okay, what can we do? And we said, okay, we, we are a bunch of friends technically. And we don't see our customers as customers. So um, I don't know who came up with, with it. It wasn't me. Um, but yeah, someone said, oh, let's just say we're friends serving friends. And we all loved it because we are friends with our customers. They are really friends. L obviously not everyone, but um, we've got such a great followership who just coming in regularly, um, sometimes even just to say hi, not even mm. eating or drinking anything, just quickly. I said, oh, I've been in the city. I just wanted to pop in hi. Can I grab a pork knuckle takeaway or um, <laughs> can I have a couple of beers? And yeah, it's um, it's great. I love it. It was interesting that that came the friends versus uh, sorry friends serving friends came from like the staff really, and it didn't didn't originally come from you. That's quite interesting. Like I was going to ask you, like it's quite hard once you've got an embedded culture, whatever culture that is, when you're in hospitality, to change and, and shift that, no matter how small it is. So I was just going to ask you, like, what were the steps you actually did to embed that new philosophy, even though it was a slight, a slight change in what you guys were doing so well before, you know, to make that to make that outstanding. Yeah, look, um, we started with that whole um, implementing of the cultural values and everything pre-COVID, especially that slogan "We are friends serving friends." That's been around since um, early two thousand or mid two thousand nineteen, mm -hmm. but then manifesting our core values. That was something we did. During COVID, we obviously had a lot of time. We, we made it clear very early that we're trying to keep every single staff member who was left in the country. Um, yeah. A lot of us left moving to different parts of Australia or leaving the country or just leaving Melbourne. Um, so we had a lot of time. We put our heads together and we said, okay, what's important for us as a team? How do we picture a perfect shift? We see Friday service from lunch till after work drinks, till dinner, Till uh, um, the guys who just don't want to leave, and what do we need to do in order to make that happen? And yep. then we just broke it down from from the back and said, okay, we have to make sure that our every single person in our team can make a decision in order to make our friends happy. And then obviously the first thought was like, okay, that works if you got the gun, right? But it doesn't work with someone who's new to hospitality or who's probably just a student who's have to, yeah make it work right maybe an even an international student who just needs to um, work as hard as possible to make the money they need mm. in order to pay their fees so we said okay we need to give everyone a guideline so we obviously have to intensify our training and um, we are niche products so not everyone knows a lot about german beer or can even pronounce the german words on the menu mm -hmm. so we have to work on that we have to give them as much training as we can by obviously being as efficient as possible but then also giving them the guidelines for them to empower and encourage them to make the decisions what's going to be best for the customer and that's going to be best for us. In regards with how you're staffing the venues now, has Friends Serving Friends actually helped you in that recruitment process in actually solidifying to those new candidates what the brand is about? Because with so many opportunities, with so many different brands, I find that when I'm recruiting at the moment, like – people are really choosing obviously where they want to work and obviously values and branding are incredibly important in that first initial decision before they sort of get under the hood and start working at a venue. Have you found that to be helpful in such a challenging recruitment market? It's probably a question you have to ask the new team members who just joined yeah. us in the last um, <laughs> year and a bit. Um, look, I hope it has. Mm. Um, I'm convinced it did. But at the end of the day, you, you don't really know why they 
that's probably something I uh, haven't done. Ask that new team member who joined us in the last 12, 15 months why they've actually decided to come on board. Sure. Um, we're getting a lot of staff, probably about 25, 30% of already existing staff members who are bringing friends saying, hey, you should work there. And then they come abroad just and say, hey, um, my friend's looking for work. He's might not really experienced, but we always say personality is more important than the skill set. We can yep. teach them how to pour beer. We can teach them how to carry three blades. It's really not rocket science, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but having a shit personality or <laughs> that's just something it's <laughs> you really You can't out-train <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah so um, yeah, obviously with the challenges, especially at the moment at labor market here in Melbourne, you can't be super picky. But we obviously went through all the challenges um, after every big lockdown, reopening, restrictions, staff shortages. But I think speaking to other people from the industry, we've probably been lucky and we've never had to close a day because the staff wasn't there or also when Omicron was there, we never had the issue that too many people had COVID and had to isolate. So we've been quite lucky. Um, but we also reduced our opening hours from the day dot, just not to stress the team too much. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, everyone was working a little bit more than um, what they should be um, and what everyone wants to, um, just when you first reopen after being closed for a couple of months. But yeah, we said, okay, we, we're going from a seven-day business to a five-day business just to make sure we just keep it in, in a set of hours, which is bearable for everyone. But yeah, we've we've never had big dilemmas with finding staff so maybe it helped yeah i obviously pitched it to everyone i'm doing the interview with i said look don't be don't worry too much about your german um, pronunciation of the <laughs> items i said that most of our customers don't even um understand it anyway right so or don't worry if you don't know anything about beer don't worry if you if you can't even carry three blades, I said, we, our job is to train you and to make you better. Um, all we want is that you are a good fit for the team. Yep. So if you, if you're a friend of ours, that's good. If you're not a friend, then sorry, go and find something else. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to go back to a seven day operation? <sighs> Has it made you think differently about the business now? I probably, if you would have asked me a couple of months ago, I would say nah. Yep. I don't want to go back to a seven-day operation. Um, it's just easier and more efficient if you've got one roster. Everyone works together every single time. Yeah. But now th- things have shifted a little bit. We we've done pre-COVID in 2019. Um, we trialed a four-day week at Hofbrauhaus House, okay. and it worked really well. And we kind of looking at rolling it out for all three sites and just obviously also looking at the labor market you want to be as as attractive as possible for all the guns out there sure. um, but also from a philosophy point it's just great to see people working in hospitality and having a great work-life balance sure and that four hour work week that's uh, not four hour work week that would be nice. <laughs> that's a different <laughs> if it topic. was a Tim Ferriss podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, that four day work week really only works if you're a seven-day operation because then obviously your team has to be bigger and then you have to find work for everyone and spread it out. So we might going to go back to a seven-day operation. Right. Um, Or maybe uh, I'm personally hoping of a six-day 
Um, so the whole company shut for one day, which just um, yeah keeps everyone um, at ease at home and everyone knows, okay, nothing bad can happen in that one day on a Monday or something. Like yeah, that. sure, sure, sure. We've touched on during the podcast about, you know, the supply chain and that you do have a lot of imported stuff obviously coming from Germany. Like, what was the decision around that? I know that was before you came in. Obviously, that was happening. But to actually manage that and control that is huge. Like, how many products are we actually bringing from overseas, if I can ask you? At the moment, we, we paused a lot of it just um, for, yeah, as you said, it's a big task to import most of it or import in general, um, especially if it's perishable goods like beer. In our peak time pre-COVID, we were importing about 20 different items, right. um, obviously a lot being beer. We were looking into wine as well, um, but then COVID hit. The reason why the, the company started importing is really just to control your destiny. Yeah, I mean... Working in a niche market, what the German cuisine is here in Australia, at the other side of the world, you don't always get what you want. Mm. <laughs> Let's start with the beer. There are so many great beers out there, and it's the same everywhere around the world. The big players are omnipresent everywhere, but they're not necessarily the greatest brews out there. Right? Mm. So it's the same here in Australia. Mm. Without n- not going to name and shame, I mean, it's a it's a perception everyone has to like everyone has their own perception of what a great beer is right sure but there are definitely much more interesting beers in germany um than what most australians know and Mm -hmm. the philosophy of our company is to support family-owned businesses or privately owned businesses wherever they can rather than big corporations who make millions of millions of dollars everywhere so our idea of being as authentic as possible on the other side of the world also comes from giving small businesses in Germany or the Alpine region, which means Germany, Austria and Switzerland, um, a global stage, which has always been a big dream of ours and also one of the main reasons why I wanted to join the company at the end was that philosophy, um, not to go on with the mainstream big companies, which obviously makes everything much easier. But giving or having that dream that even a small brewery or small company from Germany can have a little bit of a market and a little bit of a stage here overseas, which um, made us then importing a lot of goods from overseas. So obviously the beer, we're working with a brewery in uh, Bavaria where we get most of our beers. Then we've got a partner brewery in Austria as well. Um, we import things like um, the mustard sweet mustard which is just too hard to get in australia then that particular german mustard is just probably the best mustard for german sausage and you just can't get it so we had to bring it um, over here Mm -hmm. then if you are trying to be as authentic as in the homeland of a cuisine like in our case germany then you just can't get around importing certain things obviously it sounds bizarre but the potatoes, the mushrooms, the cabbage, or everything just ta- tastes different in Australia than it tastes in Germany. Sure. Not saying that it tastes worse, worse yeah, or different. better. It's yes. just different. Like mm. there is this great lady Georgie at um, South Melbourne Market, um, Georgie's Harvest. Um, she just knows everything about potatoes, and I love talking about potatoes with her, which sounds weird, right? But I sometimes just go there and say, "Hey, Georgie, we've got this." new dish in mind but i need potatoes like 
and she knows everything about German potatoes. And if you ask her, she's like, yeah, your your soil is just different. So they taste different. I was like, yeah. So do you got a potato like that? She was like, oh, yeah, look, you can try this one or that one. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just great. But then, so s- things like potatoes, you can find similar tasting potatoes. But then other things like cabbage or that mustard, they're just so different in Germany that um, you wouldn't have that authentic flavor. Sure. So that's why we ended up importing it. And then when it came to picking the companies we want to work with, we made sure they are family-owned or privately-owned. So we give them, yeah, global stage. So I feel like the friend-serving-friends model has actually gone into your supply chain as well. Yes, definitely, yeah. Which was probably already there before, yeah. And the friend-serving-friends is just, yeah, the whole internal branding, basically, which always have been and always has been part of the company. Are you selling any of those products that you're importing on the retail stage or are you just using them within, within inside the venues at the moment? Not at the moment. We've okay. tried um, selling different products in the retail section and we realised, okay, we're probably better in using those products and cooking them than trying to go into retail. So, um, sure. yeah, we weren't really successful. Probably also a lot of these products are not... Because they come from smaller suppliers, they are not necessarily as competitive as you you needed to be. As in pricing. Yeah, as right. in pricing. And because we just didn't have the volumes and we also didn't want to push the suppliers too much, we said, okay, it's not um, the end of the world if we don't move into the retail section. Yes, it would make sense. Mm. Um, but we realized um, after a certain amount of time trying it, we said, okay, some items just don't sell the volume is not there because it's such an easy product um, uh, to make it financial viable. Yeah. So the only thing we're really selling into retail is our beer the f- in the food sector. Not. It's gonna. I was just thinking. I hadn't thought about this before. We've obviously known each other a while. Does it does it make you feel more comfortable working with a German brand in Australia? Like you know how you said you came over here and you thought long and hard about it before you actually came over. Does there's actually working with a German brand and still, I'd imagine you'd talk in German to all these suppliers that you're talking to and all that kind of stuff when you when you have a chat. Like, does that does that sort of balance it out for you and make you feel a bit a bit more like it's at home? Look, I'm not going to lie to you. Having German beer and German food accessible <laughs> all the time is <laughs> is a, a big pretty seller. Good <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of things easier. Obviously. Being a, a German restaurant, we've got a lot of German staff, so mm. it's always great, especially with backpackers coming and going. It's great to stay up to date almost with back home, yes, talking to them. But then I probably would have lost my German accent already by now if I would work with um, more Australians, <laughs> yes. um, which is a bad thing, I reckon. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, yeah, I've, it's it's great. I love what what I'm doing. I love what the company stands for, and mm. I think doing um, what you love, representing your culture, the other side of the world is pretty exciting. Not many people have the opportunity to doing it, so I feel pretty blessed. And it's just fun, yeah. And having the German beer around me makes it pretty easy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my last my last question to you, Philip, is like, what are you guys looking forward to this year? Like with two years of lockdowns and that hitting you guys a lot harder with two venues in the sort of CBD area, like it's been... <laughs> It's been more than a challenge. Like, what are you guys looking forward to this year? Mm, no more lockdowns, that's for sure. Yes, absolutely. Um, most definitely looking forward to seeing the Melbourne CBD coming back to life. 
um, make myself a promise that I'm going to spend as much money as I can in the Melbourne CBD, going to a lot of different venues. I mean, there are a lot of new venues popping up, but also a lot of favourites who um, luckily survived everything. So yep. I'm most certainly looking forward of uh, great nights out with great friends in the CBD, but also just maybe bringing the business back to where it was pre-COVID. Um, and working as hard as we can to uh, um, survive whatever comes in our way. Great to hear, man. What's the best way that people can find out more about the Hoff brand and either come down here or want to work with you guys? Like, What's the best way to find out some more information? Um, look, obviously, you can always just pump in um, either at Hoff House in Chinatown, the Hoff in Docklands, just opposite Marvel Stadium, or our newest little adventure, Little Hoff itself, Melbourne Market, and have a good chat um, maybe something good to eat or something good to drink or you just visit our websites or you jump on LinkedIn and just send us a text most of the time I'm the person who answers so yeah <laughs> just shoot us a message and uh, swing by and um, yeah we'll see what we can what we can do happy days as always linked up in the show notes this podcast thanks so much Philip yeah thank you for having me Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one. I know I definitely learned a lot myself today and I hope you're uh, you're thinking about how you can do friends serving friends in your venue because I think that's going to be really, really important to cultures along with who listens to us on this podcast. So please comment, like and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. As always, we're making this content with the industry in mind so we'd really appreciate you sharing along or leaving a review. And if you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. You can find them at principaldesign.com.au. I also have a consulting brand called Open Pantry Consulting that analyzes and implements the best hospitality systems. So you can find us at openpantryconsulting.com. Super easy. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Thanks to Mr. Yum for supporting this season. And until next time, stay safe, everyone. I reckon waiting for the bill in a restaurant at the end of the meal is such a pain. I know, but have you seen Mr. Yum Split and Pay? I used it the other day at a restaurant. I just scanned the bill and straight away was able to easily split it with friends, pay and leave. It was super fast and super easy. Really sounds amazing. That's right. Mr. Yum Split and Pay makes it so simple for diners to pay their bill, to split it between a group and even pay for individual items. Restaurants love it as they get to know their customers better than ever, making it simple to send targeted offers and get their guests coming back again and again. It really is a game changer for venues that love full service but want to streamline payments. Mr. Yum's Split and Pay is the better way to pay and it's free until July 2023. Visit mryum.com.